the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Wednesday, March 22nd. Finally, finally, a non NFL show. We open with Keith Smith, the expert NBA financial guru who has five NBA names for us. The next names to watch down the stretch to close out the NBA regular season and into the postseason. Five players who need a payday, who need a contract. A couple of restricted situations, a couple of already signed but could make more scenarios, and and a couple of just flat out ready to hit the open market and might not be back with their current team situation. So Keith's got a very diverse list here to go through for the first 20 minutes or so. And then Dan Soman joins to talk the other version of Shohei Otani versus Mike Trout. Not exactly the one we saw last night in the WBC, but uh, it's obviously a huge year in 2023 for Otani, for the Angels, for the entire organization, and, and maybe that division, right? A lot of things can change over the course of the next 10 months. So we talk uh, Otani and his value a little bit, where we're going with the Angels, the ownership part of it, and the Mike Trout fallout. What happens if all of this goes wrong and we're sitting here with Mike Trout back with a a team of youngsters that uh, are unproven and really no prospect in sight, but maybe a new owner slap comes in and and changes the landscape somehow. There's a a lot of ways to look at this and Dan and I kind of run through as many as humanly possible. So it's a basketball, then baseball show. Certainly we'll be back soon to update some NFL, uh, you know, transactions as they come to us. The Aaron Rodgers stuff is looming. Sounds like DeAndre Hopkins is looming. Maybe a few more. There's some names percolated in the trade market in the NFL, which always makes this time interesting. And uh, obviously, I'm the day-to-day with the cap updates. I'll continue to push those out via Twitter, at Spotrek on Twitter, with questions, with updates, with errors, with anything you need to reach me at. He's at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. He's a great follow in season and certainly in the offseason. And uh, Keith Smith joins the show to talk about really a lot of the work you've already been doing for us, Keith, right? The... Uh, the, the next contract series has been ridiculously successful, really, with all the sports that we've attacked here. And uh, it sort of pr- pr- preludes who's sitting there waiting for the next big contract, whether it's this coming off season, whether it's in season, whether it's with a new team, whether it's an extension to stay with the current team. There's a lot of ramifications and financial uh, impact to all of those kind of movements in the NBA. And, and you detail that nicely with every single individual that you select. Um, I today's kind of homework assignment was just give me the five biggest names, right? Who is sitting here sort of ready for the next big contract in the NBA? What's it going to look like? What do you think from an opinion standpoint is going to be the outcome here? And uh, I guess just who should we be watching down the stretch here the most? Yeah, I, I'm going to cheat a little bit to, to start with because this guy already signed his big contract, mm. but we're waiting to see where he'll land with, with that contract. And that's John Morant. Um, he, he signed the, uh, uh, full five-year max extension, but he has the Rose rule designated player language in there that can bump him a salary tier. And that, that in his case is huge that that's, you know, a little, little under uh, 7 million for first year salary. And that would be about $39 million total for Morant over the life of the deal. And, and how this works is for John Morant, uh, he signs the five-year extension, locks in on that. But then if he makes 
all-NBA team or wins MVP or defensive player of the year. The latter two aren't happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he made an all-NBA team this year, uh, which he did last year, his second team all-NBA and was well on track to make it again this season, he would qualify for the designated player Rose Rule language, which would bump him up a salary tier. And that that's, that, that's big, you know, both for him, obviously, and for the Grizzlies because that puts them, you know, in a little bit of a different uh, kind of uh, salary stratosphere with Moran, and that puts Moran in a better place moving forward to maybe get that second designated player contract when this one is up. But obviously his off-court uh, issues that he's had recently has kept him out. So now what we're kind of looking at is what happens with the All-NBA voting. He's going to get back. Uh, sounds like he's going to play even tonight, Wednesday, as we're recording this. Will be his first game uh, back on the court. And he may have enough games left if he plays them all and plays well to kind of solidify and uh, win back over the, the uh, voters for All-NBA. But it's something I've definitely got my eye on here over the last few weeks of this regular season. Yeah, that was going to be my question. Let's just say he does play tonight and the rest of the regular season. That gets him about 64 games. Right. And he's, you know, just over 27 points a game, eight assists, six rebounds. It's all good stuff. It's way he's he's out kicking his coverage right now in terms of what he's done in his career. This is probably the best season he's put together from a total package standpoint. Is 64 games enough to qualify for all NBA, in your opinion? I think so. I think think when you talk to voters, they generally use a cutoff somewhere between 55 and 60 games, which is is there's no hard. It's important to note there's no hard and fast rule on this. The NBA doesn't have anything where it is must play X amount of games. Now, that is something they're talking about in the CBA negotiations to make players eligible for postseason awards. You have to appear in so many games, but that's not in in play right now. So one of the things they're they're talked looking at with voters is they've generally used roughly a two thirds of the season cutoff, which is somewhere between 55 and 60 games games or so in that range so if he's back plays all of them plays well the grizzlies they seem like they've kind of restabilized here uh recently and they can make that push and stay you know as a very solid second seed maybe even get up to you know the 50 win mark i think then we may see it be all right this guy you know went through a rough patch uh really you know had some stuff go on he's figured some stuff out he's come back strong and i think we may see him get rewarded with with all nba votes I don't think we've talked about this, at least not on the air. What are your thoughts on this kind of money being tied to an All-NBA nomination? Certainly the MVP and stuff like that, but uh, the awards versus the the max contract boost that you get with this. Are, Are you in favor of it? Do you think it's something that should be discussed in this next CBA? Yeah, it's really difficult because it's one of those things where I know so many people who vote. There was a, a situation a couple of years ago with Jason Tatum where he did not make an all-NBA team and it, much like Moran, it cost him a bunch of money um, because he didn't make it and he, he was close and a lot of voters at the time were like, I'm not comfortable with this. Like, I don't want to be having any hand in deciding million-dollar decisions for these guys and, and the voters are just, they're, they're media members. They're, they're you know, really no different than you and I. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where they, they don't want to be involved. But I get why the NBA put some kind of like there's going to be some form of category on this. You don't necessarily want to make it stats based because you don't want guys chasing stats and things like that. So I, th- I think we're in a position where this is probably the 
best way to handle a tricky situation unless you're just going to say, hey, let's just open it up and allow teams to to do this if they want to. But that's also part of this is uh, we want to protect our owners from themselves because we've seen what happens in the NBA when they're given complete freedom to sign guys. That's when you end up with ridiculously awful contracts. So so I, th- I think it's part of it is a let, let's protect and we'll, we'll put it on these guys. So I'm curious to see how that evolves moving forward in the next round of CBA negotiations. All right. You gave us the softball name to start with John Morant that, that's a good, it's a good one it's a good discussion to have give me your give me your most discreet name what's the name I'm not thinking of right now that you want to talk about okay I all right I'm, I'm gonna go all the way to 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 a guy I don't think a lot of people are super focused on but I'm really intrigued by what's gonna happen with him and that's Bruce Brown of the Denver Nuggets and the reason why is in a in a very normal situation what would happen is you would look at it and say okay key role player on a very good team, he's just going to resign there. That's that's generally how that that works out. Except in this case, the Nuggets don't have any advantage to resigning Bruce Brown. They're not going to have any kind of meaningful bird rights to resign him. Bird rights are the mechanism which allows teams to go over the cap and offer longer contracts. So they're not going to have that. The most they can offer him is about seven point seven million dollars, and he has really outplayed that. He he was a victim of circumstance last year in the free agent market where. After teams had kind of made their moves, he was sort of left standing with, huh, I'm kind of out here. And and he looked, I think, at the Brooklyn situation and said, eh, it's kind of a crowded team here in Brooklyn. I, I'm ready to move on. I want to go somewhere else. And he picked Denver. And he's had a great season. And I think what we often see with guys like Bruce Brown, who are high-level role players, is they use the regular season, then a good playoffs, to kind of lift their, their stature in the league and get seen a little bit more and get people understanding, like, wow, this guy really is something. And I think that's what we might see uh, with him. And unfortunately for the Nuggets, that may price him out for them. Now, Denver protected themselves to some extent, I think, knowing this could happen because they signed Contavious Caldwell-Pope to an extension. And they th- those two are kind of interchangeable pieces on the wing for Denver. They, they kind of split a lot of the wing minutes in that. But Bruce Brown's going to be really, really interesting to watch here over the next uh, uh, you know coming weeks, especially if Denver makes a long uh, playoff run. This is one I know you're very familiar with this, and I'm not going to make you talk NFL, but <laughs> it's uh, – when teams make that run in the playoffs, right, whether it be to the conference title or the Super Bowl, everybody starts raiding their rosters to to pick guys off and, and sign them and bring them over. Uh, that's something we're starting to see a little bit in the NBA. It's not it's not quite the same setup because of the way contracts and the rosters work and all that. But we do see that on occasion where if a team makes a deep run, you do sometimes see some of their role players get a little more shine and then they get picked off by another team. So he's a really under the radar guy that I'm keeping an eye on here over the last couple of weeks do me a favor and uh and, and idiot proof the the reason why the nuggets can't price him higher than 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 the seven million dollar figure that you mentioned i know it's percentage based just kind of give it give us the give us the listeners an understanding as to how that works from a year-to-year basis Sure. Yeah. So what happens is when you sign, uh, when you have your own free agent, they're given three forms of, they call them bird rights. And the first is, even though it's bird rights, it's called non-bird rights, um, but it's still a form of bird rights. And that allows for um, a 20% bump off the prior year's salary. Then you have something called early bird rights, which allows for a 30% bump. And then you have the full bird rights, which allows a team to re-sign a player all the way up to their their individual maximum. So that's you got to be 
with a team for three years to qualify for that. Brown is going to be, he's got a player option for next year, but it's widely known he's going to decline that barring something really unexpected. So what's going to happen is they're only going to have those minimum non-bird rights. And because the Nuggets are well um, over the cap and very likely to be in the tax, because also what happens for them is Nikola Jokic has the uh, so-called Supermax extension kicking in next year at uh, what projects to be 46.9 million. You've got Caldwell Pope, who I said they already re-signed. You've got Aaron Gordon on his contract. You've got Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., both on uh, max deals as well. So you're in a position where, all right, you can see why this team's super expensive, and that's going to leave them with very limited avenues to re-sign Bruce Brown. And that's why they're kind of limited to saying, hey, we can give you that $7.7 million, but there's not a whole heck of a lot we can do beyond that. And it's very likely some team, either a cap space team who says, yeah, this guy can help lift us to where we want to go or a team that is already a contender but has their full uh, mid-level exception of about 11 million or so available one of those teams may step in and sign him instead joker murray and porter jr 114 million next year combined for three players so <laughs> yeah. yeah they've got a they've got a situation let's put it that way but you're right they're the you know they're the preeminent team in the west right now they have been for the really the entire season the last couple seasons honestly and uh, these role players get poached and get overpaid. It's just sort of how the process works in all of sports. So you're, you're, you're dead on with this one, I think. And by the way, he's a shooting guard, right? I mean, yeah. what, what, what does every single team need at least two to three of going forward every year? So he's, uh, he's in prime position to be poached here for sure. Give me number three, Keith. Yep. All right, I'm going to go back to a guy who's prominent in the news right now, and that's Jalen Brown. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Brown is in a position where, and I've written about this extensively for the site, so uh, if anybody would would rather check it out in written form, you can check that out there, or check it out in written form anyway, because I'm not going to cover all of the details here. But what's going on with Jalen Brown is he signed what was effectively an under-market deal uh, when he was a free agent with the Celtics last time. There was a thought at that time of, all right, Jalen Brown's good, but we know Jason Tatum's already hit that star status. We did. It's important to remember back then it was, we've got Gordon Hayward, we've got Al Horford, we're figuring out the point guard situation because it was Kyrie Irving and Kemba Walker. So was, all right, we got Brown slightly under the max. That's great in the moment. Then what happens, though, is the player blossoms, turns into an all-star, which Brown has, and then you're limited in what you can pay them because of the NBA has relatively broken veteran extension rules where it's either you have to be awesome to get paid or it's just not worth it for the player and it's better for them to hit free agency. As we talked about before, that's something that's being discussed in the CBA negotiations of we maybe we should make it a little bit better for these teams to be able to re-sign these guys. But we're not there yet. So in this case, Brown, regular veteran extensions out the window. He'd be leaving a ton of money on the table. Now, it's also important to note, Jalen Brown has another year under contract at $30.7 million for next year. But if he makes All-NBA this year, which he's right on the cusp of, it's going to be pretty close. And a lot of it may depend on does he get more votes at the forward position or the guard position or what does that that come out to? But if he makes All-NBA, he then becomes – 
uh, Supermax extension eligible. And at that case, what the Celtics can do is they can can offer him the extension early. They can tack four years on uh, to his deal and they can add it starting at what projects to be about forty two point nine million. And they can move forward with, with Jalen Brown and get him you know, moving into to the uh, you know bigger and better uh, tiers here because he would be eligible. So we're going to see what that uh, ultimately com- comes out to and what that looks like for him um, because there's a lot of stuff where he was pretty non-committal to Boston. But it's important to remember, he hasn't been non-committal before, but nobody has passed up any kind of super max extension offer yet. So I don't know that Jalen Brown's going to be the first guy to do it. So that would give the Celtics at least a little bit of a leg up as much as we all know NBA contracts are sign them today. And if you're unhappy a year mm-hmm. in, you just say, I want to be traded. But it at least gives you the, the short term uh, stability and belief of, hey, we're going to have this guy around. So you believe the, the Celtics will offer it this offseason? Yes. You do. Yeah, 100%. If he's eligible, they're going to offer it because they know, you know, two-way wings like him, that's what everybody wants. He's still, you know, relatively young-ish. He's only going to be 27 just before the start of next season. So just kind of coming into his prime year. So if he's eligible, Celtics will 100% offer that max deal. Okay, rank these three things in most likely to least likely. Jalen Brown signs that Supermax extension this offseason. Jalen Brown declines that Supermax extension this offseason. Jalen Brown is traded this offseason. I would say it is the most likely is that he signs it just because other than Kawhi Leonard, which was a very weird situation, no one has, has passed it up. Um, so it's you know the prevailing thought is get your money and then – ask for a trade later if you want one. Uh, So that's the most likely. Then I would say next likely is that Boston trades him because if there's any sense he's going to waffle or if he outright declines it, which so that's kind of becomes like two and two a is you have to consider moving him then because what you can't do is go into the summer of 2024 with him as an unrestricted free agent after turning down a supermax extension because what you'll have then is a whole bunch of teams are going to spend all year long lining up for all right we're we're planning to make a run at Jalen brown just because of the way free agency works now players that good very rarely hit uh free agency it's just you know kind of a thing where extensions have become the name of the game in the league and this would be a spot where you'd have several teams lining up to make a run at him and if you're boston you just can't risk losing them for nothing Makes sense. That's a big name to be putting out there right now. And I, I definitely think there's some discontent. I've read quite a bit about this, including your piece. And certainly there's a, you know, he's pretty public about the, the way things have gone from a business standpoint. So this is a this is a big time name that could be, uh, I wouldn't say forcing himself out, Keith, but I think uh, just doing right by himself. He's had to, to slow mm-hmm. play this process. You've been all over that. You, you, you know, you don't sign the extension last season. You don't sign it during this season. There's a lot more money to be made in not signing right now. And now he's got a chance to make that money. But rather than take it and then force yourself out, he can simply just say no right now, right? He can simply just say, I I have more leverage with an expiring contract, something we don't see a lot of in the NBA anymore. Yeah, he absolutely could could say no. And to that point, if you're the Celtics, like I said, then, then you have to think about, all right, this is not where we wanted to go, but 
we have to protect ourselves here because they're, they're a title contender and they, they can't be left with, all right, now uh, he's leaving town. And it's not as simple as I know a lot of people think, all right, so you just go sign the next guy. That's not how it works. They're still not going to have cap space. They're still going to be over the cap. You wouldn't be able to replace them in terms of salary slot, but you also wouldn't be able to replace them in terms of talent either. So that's where you look at, all right, we're going to swallow hard and probably make a trade here. Okay. Name number four, Keith. All right, I'm going to double dip with the same team mm. for these last two names um, because I think this is a uh, you know really interesting situation to watch. The first guy I'm going to go to is D'Angelo Russell of, of the Los Angeles Lakers. And I think what's very interesting about him and the Lakers situation is if the, the Lakers, when they traded for Rui Hachimura, that was the first kind of domino to fall where I started saying, hmm, I'm thinking different about the Lakers now. I had them pegged as, all right, they're going to wipe – their their salary sheet clean and it's going to be LeBron AD a draft pick Max Christie and 30 plus million in space and maybe Kyrie Irving they make a run at whatever they 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 do that's the way it's going to go instead what happened was they no Kyrie trade happened as we all know and then or at least not to the Lakers um then they went and traded for Rui Hachimura. And that was the first one where I was like, huh, that's kind of interesting because that wasn't – he's not a good enough player where it is, all right, we're all in, and if he walks in the summertime, whatever, but he lifted us in a you know, title contention. He's not that kind of guy. Uh, they were too far down. He wasn't going to swing that. But as a re- pending restricted free agent, it was, huh, now they've got a little bit of a chance to maybe do something. Then their subsequent big, bigger trade where they went and got – D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley said to me, all right, they're planning now to stay over the cap and probably mostly keep this group together. So in the case of Russell, he's on a $31.4 million contract right now, which I think everybody recognizes is, all right, he's coming off that deal that he got partially because it was the double sign and trade for Kevin Durant, where the Kevin Durant went to the Nets, Russell went to the Warriors. It was how the Warriors preserved the salary slot of KD. Then they flipped him and got Andrew Wiggins and everything there. And now Russell's, you know, he was the beneficiary of that. Now it's like, all right, that's too much for him, 30-plus million, but 25 million-ish, that's probably in range. And it's really in range. If he has a big last couple of weeks of the regular season, helps them get into the play-in tournament, if he can be a big part of pushing them and lifting the Lakers into to the actual playoffs themselves through the play-in tournament or just direct there because they're not that far off of uh, getting up to the sixth seed. I don't think it'll happen, but it's still in play. Then all of a sudden what you have is a position where, all right, now we have to re-sign this guy because he was a big part of things. What I tend to think is going to happen is he is an interesting candidate to get one of those very late extensions, which guys who are coming off an expiring deal can extend um, as long as they're extension eligible all the way up through June 30th, right up until the you know start of free agency. So I think what we're looking at with D'Angelo Russell is we may see him actually extend versus go into free agency. Then the Lakers have that one piece of business is done. But I think what may happen is he may get a little bit more money in exchange for a slightly shorter deal. Cause I think what the Lakers would like to do moving forward is as much as they can tie these guys to two year deals, um, which would sync them up with when LeBron James and Anthony Davis come off the books potentially in 2024 or 2025. So what that does is that puts the Lakers in a spot where, Hey, now we can just kind of, you know, 
pivot if we need to in a couple years or if those guys leave or whatever it is, we're in a position where that's how we can move. So that's that's why I've kind of got my eye on D'Angelo Russell as well as one of his teammates as well. So you see this as the Lakers have sort of rebuilt themselves for the short term future here, kind of on the fly here. Yep. Yeah. I, th- I think what they did and th- this was, I hammered this for months <laughs> on, they had to turn Russell Westbrook into multiple players. You, you did, I didn't think trading Westbrook for Kyrie Irving was necessarily the right move because in my mind, that was, you're kind of right back where you were, which is a team of three stars, all of whom who have shaky track records health wise yeah. now. And what, what are you going to get out of that? If two of them are down, it's, you know, none of those guys can carry all by themselves. So turning Westbrook's deal into Russell Beasley, two starters, Jared Vanderbilt, who's been starting as well. Now, all of a sudden you've turned that into, you know, wow, this is actually a pretty functional team now with a roster that makes sense. Instead of being AD and LeBron and 27 guards, it's now a roster with balance that can play defense. They've got some shooting and I think they did a really good job. But the big thing was Beasley has a team option for next year, looking to resign Russell, looking to resign Hachimura. Vanderbilt's already under uh, one of the better contracts contracts in the league for next year. So I think all of a sudden it's all right, they're they're set up here to do something, but I don't think they're going to lock in for a four-year window here. I think this is more like maybe, hey, let's try to tie everything to when AD and LeBron's contracts are up. That way if we need to pivot and adjust, we can you know, reset everything in a big way uh, very quickly. And the Lakers in general have done pretty good when they've been in that situation. Yeah, it does make sense. So I assume you're staying with the Lakers. I think I know the name you're going with, which is <laughs> a total curveball, but I, he's been a big factor and he's going to be a big factor going forward, right? Yeah, if, if you're on the right guy, it's Austin Reed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the crazier stories in the league um, is Austin Reeves and kind of his ascendancy here in such a quick, quick window. This is a guy who was signed to a two-way contract, played so well in summer league and in off-season workouts that before the season even started, the Lakers were like, we you're, we can't have you on a two-way. We got to have you on a standard deal. And they, they signed him to a standard deal, which was a two-year uh, minimum contract because that's the best they could offer at that moment in time. And then what happened is Reeves has, he had a nice rookie season, Mm -hmm. but this year he's really blossomed to become a very, very good player. If you're more of a casual viewer of the NBA and I get it, the Lakers are playing a lot of times, especially for us East coasters at 10, 10 30 at night, you may think, well, Austin Reeves, he's a, you know, shooter guy comes off the bench and that's what he does. But you'd be missing a lot. He does a lot more than that. He's a really good ball handler and playmaker. He's pretty good at getting to the free throw line. I think he took 18 free throws the other night or 16 or something. He can really do something to the point where Anthony Davis commented like, man, I wish I could get some of the calls he gets. Um, so he's he's really developed into a solid all-around player. He can defend well um, for his positions. He can play the, the one, the two, and the three, which is big. That's good versatility. So now we're in a position where, though, for the Lakers, it's not as simple as, well, just resign him and we're good. He's really fascinating because he is subject to what we call the arenas provision. And in that uh, arenas provision, what happens is we go all the way back to Gilbert Arenas when he was a second round pick. He broke out and was awesome for the Warriors. And it was like, man, this guy should have been probably a lottery pick. That's how good he was. And then when he came up on free agency, other teams came in and said, 
which ultimately ended up being the Washington Wizards, paid him so much money that the Warriors couldn't even match the contract and keep him because of where they were at. So what the NBA put in the next CBA, and they, as they do with bird rights, which are named after Larry Bird, and the Rose Rule named after Derrick Rose, they created what's the Arenas provision named after Gilbert Arenas. And what that Arenas provision does is that allows the incumbent team, so in this case the Lakers, Frost, and Reeves, to match any uh, offer he gets, but with a twist on that. So what happens is if the Lakers match the offer for Reeves and they they keep him, they're going to get hit with what then gets referred to as like a poison pill contract where, and I broke this down on the site if anybody wants to see what it would could could potentially look like is Reeves would still get his let's say 60 or 80 million dollars in total but for the Lakers it would be about 11 and a half million then the slight raise then it would jump way up to 17 18 19 million dollars in year three and then a slight raise off of that for year four so what happens in those contracts is you're given the hey you can match but in the future years, it's going to bump up because we don't want to prevent the player from still getting their 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 total amount. And you're doing it by matching using either the equivalent to the non-taxpayer or in Reeves' case, it would be uh, likely his his early bird rights um, to as the matching mechanism. For the Lakers, what happens is it turns into, all right, here's where we're at with this and this is how we're going to match and this is what we're going to do for Austin Reeves um, with this. It still allows him to get all his money, but you can't use the standard raise formula of 8% raises because uh, that doesn't work. You wouldn't get their money-wise. So, so it becomes really, really fascinating. Wow. He's the kind of guy – just sorry to wrap up on him. The cap space teams th- this summer, he makes sense for almost all of them. I was just about to ask. Is. I mean, you, you're. It sounds like you're dead set that there's going to be an offer put in here. I, I I really think there is. I I think this is one of those ones where a lot of teams don't want to play in restricted free agency because it just it ties your money up unnecessarily for a couple of days because. 90% of the time, the other team's going to match. And, and the NBA has tried to tell teams to no longer say, like like if we go all the way back to Kawhi Leonard and uh, Andre Drummond one year where their their teams were like, hey, don't even bother because we're just going to match. Like the league's like, hey, knock it off with that because that's a almost a form of tampering. Right. Um, well, what happens in this case is nobody needs to say that because for the Lakers is – there is a walkaway number for them. I don't know what it is. It you know it might be eighty million. It might be a hundred million. And that probably starts to get a little silly if you're another team of you know you go much north of twenty million for Austin Reeves. You're running the risk of oh maybe this is all he is, and now we're stuck with with an overpay. But you want to get a guy in restrictive free agency, you generally have to overpay him. And for teams that are looking for some shooting, some bench production, playmaking, uh, scoring, all that stuff, it just real quick running through it, the Detroit Pistons, perfect fit mm-hmm. alongside their young roster. The Houston Rockets, they could use another stabilizing guy. Uh, the Indiana Pacers, he's, they, they, they've got a million guards so there, maybe, and eh, we'll see. Oklahoma City, they could use another shooter. That, that roster needs more shooting, and if it's a shooter who can do plus, 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 he makes sense. The Orlando Magic are dying for a player like Austin Reeves that can create offense. San Antonio, we'll see what their plans are moving forward. And then Utah, 
this is the kind of guy mm. where Danny Ainge yep. could love to jump in and just mess with the Lakers and say, hey, you want to keep him? You're going to have to pay a whole lot of money to, to keep him. So those cap space teams, this is one where it does make more sense. And it's not as cut and dry for the Lakers as, well, we'll match whatever it is because you have that arenas uh, complication involved in all of that. It, two, two quick things on this. Well, three. N- number one, and I have to put it this way because this is all I kept thinking about as you're breaking this guy down. How, are we sure this isn't Duncan Robinson 2.0, Keith? <laughs> <laughs> you got it's, it. It could be. I, I'm not going to rule it out totally. Except Duncan Robinson's lone skill for the NBA was his shooting. Yeah, and when shoot. that shooting dipped from elite to merely good, that's where his value completely cratered because he was a one skill guy. Reeves can do a lot more than Duncan Robinson, so you feel like even if his shooting levels off at what it is, that's fine. But it's his ability to put the ball on the floor, play make, get himself to the foul line, all those things. That's what separates him from Duncan Robinson. Okay, two more points then, because I'm sitting in the NFL world, right? And there's a lot of complications with this stuff. Let's just let's just fast forward to offer sheet if you think it's coming. I, I like the Orlando fit by the way a lot. Um, is there any kind of compensation involved with that? Or is it literally just the contract contract situation? Yeah, ju- just the contract. Either you match or you don't. That, that That's it. And in this case, if you're the Lakers, you're matching on that kind of, I like to call it, reasonable, reasonable jump, jump uh, mm. salary structure. That That's where they, they've got to, you know, um, kind of decide, is that what we want to do? Because going back to what I was talking about with D'Angelo Russell and tying those years to LeBron and AD, this would extend past them. Yeah. So now you'd have 19, 18, 20 million, somewhere in that range on your books for a couple years past um, when AD and LeBron could already be moved on or onto new contracts or whatever it is. Now, I think that'll hold value for Reeves, especially in an environment where the cap is going to go up. I think you know he's the kind of guy who's going to make you know somewhere between eighteen and twenty million, which I know probably has people's minds spinning, but that's just where we're headed. We're 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 probably one to two years away from seeing the first three hundred million dollar contract in the NBA. That's just the reality of where things are going uh, with the sport. So you know, paying a guy like Austin Reeves eighteen million when there's going to be other guys in the league making sixty million a year that. That's, that's not the, the worst thing in the world. Okay. And then sort of similar, but is there a way for the Lakers to gain anything from this ever? Can, can they sign and trade a restricted free agent at any point in time? Yeah, they can. Now, what has to happen if they want to do that is that has to happen before an offer sheet. So so this is where communication becomes really, really important, because what if you're if you're the Lakers, let, let's let's just use Orlando as the example. If Orlando's like, hey, we want to sign Austin Reeves and you know, we're, we're going to give him 20 million a year. And the Lakers are like, all right, we, we don't want to match that. This is where having a good working relationship comes into play with your your fellow teams in the league because Orlando can say, hey, we can do the offer sheet process and hurt you or we can say, let's do a sign and trade that's mutually beneficial to the two of us. The best example of this in recent years was when Malcolm Brogdon left the Milwaukee Bucks for the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers owner um, has been, it's it's odd because they did this with DeAndre Ayton, but I think that's because they were forced into that corner by the Phoenix Suns. He has very famously said, I don't like the restricted free agent process, the offer sheets. If we're gonna, if we want a guy, 
Let's just try to either sign the guy outright or let's work a sign and trade. And that's what they did um, where it's the Lakers aren't going to get any kind of massive return here because Orlando could do it the other way and say, all right, well, we're going to force you into either matching or letting him walk. But this is where if you've got that good relationship, you say, all right, you're doing a $20 million deal for him. All right, let's see what this looks like as far as the matching goes. Let's try to find a, a trade that works for the two of us and make that happen. And that that's something that we do see, um, you know, on occasion, like I said, with the Brogdon situation. So that's where the Lakers would want to go if they know, all right, this is an offer sheet. We just, I don't want to say can't match because they can, but we, we won't match. This is too much. And this is where Lakers fans get super angry because they know it's true. They've let a couple guys walk away in recent years yeah. because of situations, most famously Alex Caruso. And that's where, you know, if history repeats itself, you're going to have a whole lot of angry Laker fans kind of pulling their hair out, being like, what are we doing? Why are we operating like we're a small market franchise that can't go deep into the tax? We're the Lakers. We need to you know, pay up to keep our guys around. Okay. You mentioned the pieces you've been doing. Your last few have been excellent. Brooke Lopez, Austin Reeves, the full breakdown, wrote the entire Gilbert Arenas provisions in there. The James Harden situation. Dylan Brooks is a super polarizing player. He's he's <laughs> coming into a contract situation. Who? What's up next, Keith? Do you have a couple names in mind? Yeah, we're, we've been kind of batting around names. What we're kind of doing is we 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 crowdsourced a, a good list of names that yeah. people sent and uh, are, are really fun. So I'm kind of excited to to dive into a handful of those. I like to cover the guys who have more options than just they're going to be a free agent and here's what they could sign for. Mm-hmm. So a couple guys that, that that are on the list, maybe Chris Middleton uh, might, might be somebody we might take a look at. I kind of um, think Chris Apps Porzingis is a really interesting situation potentially this summer. Um, and then there's a handful of restricted free agents, which which that's always kind of a, a fun world to play in, especially, like I said, this year where guys like I mentioned Austin Reeves, but a guy like Cam Johnson could make sense for a ton of these cap-based teams, and they could make it a little harder on the Brooklyn Nets. And, and in a way, it could be a little bit of revenge from a few years ago when the Nets were like, hey, we're going to sign all the restricted free agents <laughs> and make teams match. Uh, you might might get, get some play there. So we, we've got we've got some fun stuff planned uh, going forward with, with the next contract series and then just, you know, just getting ready to ramp up for free agency in the offseason and all that stuff. Great as always. We'll be talking soon, Keith. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Right, and the World Baseball Classic gave us a hell of a show and it uh, finished with a scenario we were all kind of hoping what happened, Otani versus Trout, which led me to, to think about another version of Otani versus Trout, which is how the hell should the Angels operate right now? We've talked a lot about Otani specifically, the contract that's coming at some point from some team. Uh, you know, we can dive in there as you want. I, I think yesterday, you know, the past week or so only freaking inflated that whole conversation. We're not talking about Mike Trout really at all. And I think you have some some kind of polarizing thoughts on, on his career, maybe where it's headed. There's a hell of a lot of money left in this deal. There's a hell of a lot of term left in this contract. The Angels kind of feel like they're in a one-and-done scenario right now, and that could be the front office. That could be you know Otani on the way out. There's a lot of ways to look at this. Uh, your general thoughts on Otani versus Trout in that regard, not so much on the field. Right. So I guess my thoughts on the situation are a culmination of where we're at currently. I know in the past I had thought that there was some traction that maybe um, one of them gets moved here at some point. But everything they've done um, this offseason sort of signals that they are um, they're they're going for it now. 
our previous thoughts, a lot of that looped in with the ownership uncertainty, um, hmm. whether they wanted to move him prior to that. Now, Artie Moreno has backed off of that. So um, it sounds like they want to keep Otani if possible. So who knows, really, who knows where that goes. But just to kind of point out um, that this is a really dynamic, um, sorry, fluid situation, um, you know, even kind of week to week, month to month here as as the uh, MLB calendar kind of ticks off important important dates here so yeah um let me cut in here because you mentioned a point that i i I don't even think of enough should we be talking about the likelihood that otani stays with the angels Uh, that's not what anybody else wants to talk about because that's not going to click you know generate clicks right do you think there's a solid chance of this now well i i I think he tests the open market regardless. Mm. Now, whether the angels are in that conversation, I mean, we've seen them want to shop in the deep end before. Um, They're the little brother there in, in, in LA, but they have made big splashes before. So all I'm saying is it seems like he has liked being there or he hasn't signaled. He wants to, to go anywhere, you know, public facing, he's done all the right things. So, I think there's at least a chance that he he's entertaining just staying there, especially if there's a commitment from the front office that they want to attempt to get players, Trout stays, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we don't talk about that enough that they, you know, we just say these other big players, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Mets, et cetera, are, you know, going to snipe him. But I think there's at least a chance that the angels can, can match any, or, or at least come close um, to any other offer out there. And, and, if it's in the player's hands and he wants to return there, if he's getting his four, five hundred million dollars, whatever it is, um, I don't really know if he's going to push too hard to move if he enjoys it there, right? Let's stay on this because I can compound a couple of your points together and make this, I think, a fairly interesting conversation. Artie Moreno backs away from selling the team kind of suddenly and, and I think surprisingly to a lot of the big talking heads in baseball. And now we have this Otani situation that was always percolating with free agency ahead of us. But now, do you agree that this WBC stuff just amplified him times five? I mean, it's, I mean, he did everything that he needed to do, right, right at the start of this Major League Baseball season, his baseball season, right. This is his Aaron Judge moment now that that is now about to happen, and he's already now ten steps ahead of where Judge was because of this WBC. Do you think Artie Moreno played this? Do you think he saw all this happening and realized? Because we talked about this with Bryce Harper a couple of years ago. Do you think what he what he saw coming was, why am I trying to sell the team right now when everybody coming in with a bid knows that they are about to lose one of the most famous athletes in the world? Right? That right. is no that is no time to sell a team. So so I'm gonna ride this thing out. I'm gonna ride this WBC moment out because I we're gonna benefit greatly from it. I mean, there's going to be even more asses in seats now in, in Angel Stadium because of what we just saw over the past two weeks. And I can generate this relationship. I can do. I can spend eight months trying to get this guy to stay, trying to get this guy to take my offer. And if it happens, I'm going to sell the team the day after because now there's a commitment from this unicorn athlete to stay with this organization, at least for the foreseeable future. And oh, by the way, there's Mike Trout. And oh, by the way, you know, it's sunny California and there's a lot to go with it. So 
do you think we're reading that room correctly? That that he just saw the business side of this and said, "What the hell am I thinking trying to sell right now?" It's actually a good point. I, I Scott and I talked a little bit about it on the previous pod that mm-hmm. maybe just the market timing with all these the, the team values across the board had taken a step back. Um, so maybe it had something to do with the financial terms of the because world. Because of inflation and stuff, Dan? Is that yeah. what the economy? Yeah. That, that, well, that's what our consensus was, was that just like all markets across the world are down. Um, and why would baseball be any different, r- regardless of the massive profits that they turn out year over year? Same thing with the NFL. NFL, I mean, you might laugh at this, right? But I, like in theory, they have slowed in the last year comparatively to the, the prior years based on markets. But I could be I could be butchering that as well. So regardless, not to get into that, I'm just saying we did touch based on that a little bit in regards to like the Soto and the Washington conversation. Is it more valuable to have the superstar there yeah. while you sell the team or um, let the next um, owner owner deal with that. So maybe, maybe you're right. And that Artie Moreno um, outsmarted all of us. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not so sure about it, but it, it could be. Go ahead. Let me, let me also just say like in the greater context, I think you're going to get there in the greater context of the timing of this. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't, blame them for wanting to kind of run it back one more year with those guys. Like why sell, like we sort of agree that the return you would get for both of those guys diminishes as you hang on to them. Um, Otani would still fetch a massive haul at this point. I think trout may be a different conversation, but regardless, like them selling two generational players on the market for prospects, a couple pieces here and there that might pay off in a few years. Like I, I, I have no issue with them just pushing chips in and saying, let's go for it this year. See what Otani does next off season. If he's, if we can keep him, then let, then fine. We'll keep building on what we've already, what we've already established. If not, we'll just rebuild new front office. You know, we have some contracts that just need to kind of like play out the string, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I don't even have, I, I know I've kind of slammed them for kind of being like in purgatory here, but I don't necessarily in the context of it, as I sort of see it all play out, I don't even necessarily have an issue, an issue with them just running it back for one more year and then reassessing after this year. <clears throat> and and certainly that's going to happen, right? We're, we're talking about things that are never going to, never going to come to fruition, at least not in the next eight to 10 months. Um, it, it doesn't make sense to trade Shohei Otani right now. That that ship has long sailed. Um, I want to go back to one thing. We did talk about it when it happened, but I, I wonder now in hindsight, has your vision changed? Shohei Otani immediately signing the one-year $30 million arbitration avoid salary. Does that does that weigh in here at all, in your opinion? Or is it just they're throwing me a ton of money, I'm taking it, and then I'm going to walk in free agency, and that's how this is going to work? Well, it's typically we see that as a positive signal that both sides are at least within range. Um, I mean, whether, I mean, whether they could have milked that, you know, went to our, tried to go to arbitration, negotiated, fought, fought against the team, et cetera. But I mean, if the pieces are close and he wanted to keep that relationship, like, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, like at the end of the day, it's still a boatload of money. So, you know, we always argue what's the difference between, 30 and 31 million dollars but yeah it's a lot of money so but yeah no i i um 
it's it's a good point but okay. I, I think i think it is is to, to answer your question i think it's at least a signal that there could be another contract with the angels in his future you know yeah i I'm starting to think that as well. The more we talk it out, the more we thought about it behind the scenes and things like that. We're heading into a really sweet place with this whole season. And it's special that baseball's had, Major League Baseball's had now, are about to have two straight seasons where a really good human being, right, who can really play baseball is about to have a singular, isolated you know, you know, season that's going to change the course of a lot. Right. I mean, whether he stays or goes next year, that was, you know, that's what we dealt with Aaron Judge. And we had the the blessing and the gift of financial offers thrown at us really right about now from Brian Cashman this time last year from the from Aaron Judge, which, you know, I'm sure a lot of people were discouraged by across the league. And we probably won't see that kind of thing ever happen again. But, you know, the, the past calendar year with major league baseball and the money and, and the free agency thing it's it's better than i can ever remember it you know we didn't even get this kind of juice when bryce harper walked you know it, it just wasn't there he wasn't that kind of dynamic personality to go out there and and be polarizing to the media he was real quiet real behind the scenes and then his 13-year contract just kind of showed up on our screens but um you mentioned it already we got to get to it you know mike trout mike trout's signed through 2030 dan he's 30 one and a half. He's almost 32 years old now, believe it or not. Is there any kind of value for this guy with that, with that contract right now? I mean, I start, I read you as saying there's minimal value because of the contract in a trade. Well, they, they're probably going to have to pick a lane with him. If, if they move him, they're going to have to pick a lane in -hmm. terms of what they're targeting, whether they want prospect return. Um, or whether they value just getting rid of the salary, right? And not this is not a knock on the player, but um, you know, as players age, the the and fall out of the prime of their career, their skills deteriorate deteriorate a little bit. And we've seen that with Trout; he's still an MVP caliber player. But some of the things, um, you know, the the elite skill sets that he brought um, are kind of falling off here now, right? So. He plays center field. He should probably move to a corner. <clears throat> yep. He he used to run. He doesn't steal anymore. He still can run the bases really well, obviously. But um, K percentages have come up. He still hits the bar, ball extremely hard. But he's sort of shifted his offense, his his approach at the plate, where he still walks a lot, but he's more of a um, home run doubles hitter than he is just like the three. He'll never be a three hundred hitter. He's probably going to settle into like a two sixty. 5270 maybe type hitter um he hit 40 home runs last year in a health mostly healthy season so obviously still tons of value mike trout player of the generation there's a ton that comes with that right so i just want to be clear i'm not knocking the player but some of the some uh, some of the reasons he got what he got um and is being paid 36 million dollars is is because he was elite at so many different things um and and as that changes you know so does the value in terms of, um, you know, mm-hmm. so does trade value, if you will. So I guess what I'm saying here is that like similar to Washington with the Soto deal, um, they had a choice to, to sort of just 
get rid of the rest of Soto in his contract at that time, or um, like they did, they attached Trey Turner and got Josiah Gray and Kyber Ruiz, who were two of the higher rated prospects in the Dodger system. So I am just sort of signaling that the angels would probably have to pick a lane um, in terms Mm -hmm. of a direction to go with that. If they do choose to move on from him Um, teams, but, but teams would have no issue giving up a, a nice prospect a couple nice prospects to get Mike Trout it's just if the Angels want to keep you know retain most of that salary move on from it um you know personally if the Angels are moving on from Mike Trout I think it's to move on from the salary not the player um so if you're still paying Mike Trout I would just rather have him on my team so if that makes sense that yeah I would just rather have him stay in LA if I'm the Angels if I'm paying that contract rather than pay to move him just to get a couple prospects that might pay off down the line. So I don't know if I laid that out. good. Eight years, 284 million remaining on that deal. Yeah. So yeah, it's, (laughs) you know, that's a blockbuster contract for a free agent right now, let alone a guy who's 32 and going on 30. You know where this is headed. Uh, They've got about three for a, or four for 120, 150, I should say left on Rendon another contract that they could probably, you know, consider moving on from just as a salary dump, retain half of it, get him out the door, get some kind of major league player back. That That's the problem with this team, right? There's as much good as there is bad on this financial payroll. And that hasn't changed for a while. And I'm not saying Mike Trout's contract is bad for them. It's not. He's still performing at a $30 million level. He is. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We're, I think what we're saying out loud is don't be uh, the haul that would come back for a Mike Trout trade right now isn't going to be two A's and two B's. And you know what I mean? It's not, that's not where we are right now because the contract exists and it's, and it's not going anywhere. So this angels, there's no easy out with this program, Dan, there just isn't. How how do they proceed? Truly? Do they just need to get lucky because they're not, their division is getting so much damn better. It's, it's, it's the complete, you know, it's not like there's one team and Houston has been that team, but now Texas is taking the right steps forward. We've seen Seattle do a lot of good things in the past couple. What does this franchise do, especially if they're thinking about 500, 550 for Otani next year? And, and I think they are. I, I do you know what I mean? Like, put, can, no. can you even put your shoes? How do we do this? I don't. I really don't know because what I what the like the analyst in me thinks they they need to sort of start over. And what I mean by that is they need to have some patience in terms of rebuilding this thing, because there are pieces there. They have started to take a direction in terms of where to go, but the positives I see there are sort of counterintuitive to, to keeping Trout and Otani around. You know what I mean? And I'm not encouraging moving on from two generational players, but I guess what I'm saying is they have, they push their chips in on offense, right? They went after these guys. They paid offensively. They and they ignored pitching for for quite some time, right? So when you when the USA WBC team, by the way, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so and it's I get I guess just what I'm trying to say is pitching takes time to rebuild. Paramanasian has made a commitment. He started drafting pitching heavy. That takes 
a, a number of years mm-hmm. to see proper returns on, right? Probably too long, long enough that Otani and <laughs> really right, they never Otani. benefit from it. Right. Exactly. So you just move on, take what you can get for them, get pieces in return. But that also sounds like such a, you know, such a loser way to go about it. But I, I really don't know. They're really in purgatory in terms of what to do. Like the, you're right, Dan. The right the, the right business move is to move on probably from Trout, in my opinion, because he's not a pitcher, because he is declining slightly in, in a lot of the five tool aspects that made him so famous. And, you know, because you can get off that contract and then start to use that money to start bringing in 18 to $20 million players, especially on the mound or in your bullpen, right? That's, that's sort of how we've seen contenders be built from the back end up outside of, you know, the Astros and the Mariners really just drafting properly and international players, things like that. Um, a whole nother conversation with the angels, by the way, the international side of this, that is the right business move. But how do you do that without completely losing a fan base? Because that's obviously in the back of everybody's mind. They are the second child. They're the Mets to the Yankees, right? They're the angels to the Dodgers. They can lose a hell of a lot of fans here, especially if the Dodgers end up with Otani at some point in time, or which you know is a distinct possibility. That's that's how this team operates, which in my opinion is why they continue to not to not proceed properly. They always feel like they have to stay relevant, at least a little bit relevant, or they're going to lose their entire fan base, which is just going to go Dodgers or go you know to a different sport in Los Angeles. And I understand that from a marketing perspective, from an ownership perspective. It's probably one of the reasons Moreno, you know, is trying to get himself out of this right now. That has got to be an exhausting way to do business. And it's not successful, obviously. So the right move is probably to move on from the from the position players and, and to truly let these the pitching that they established. And by the way, the 2021 draft was all pitchers, famously. And Every single I, th- one. I think one of them actually might get to the major leagues this year and chase Silseth. But other than that, Dan, you're right. This is a four to five year process. And by the way, it's a it's a wait and see process. None of these guys are going to are expected to, you know, completely pan out soon. So the right move is to move on. They're not going to get much back for it. It's not going to be the answer to their problem. It's simply just going to be the a business decision. I, how do you operate? How do you operate here? You know what I mean? Do you, do you just do you truly go all the way back down and become the Pittsburgh Pirates for five years and and, and let these kids grow up together and try to create try to create a culture with draft picks and see if you can bring it back up to that, essentially operate like a small market. Is that what they have to do right now, Dan? Well, I think there are many positives to doing that, right? I, yeah. Okay, let's unwind this all the way. The, 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 the heart of the question is, can this, does this team have the right pieces in place to develop the talent in the organization, Right. That's the Washington Nationals we see have mm-hmm. issues there. We see the same thing with the Angels is when they get high talent, play, high ceiling players, Joe Adele, guys like that in their system, they never get better, right? So you can accumulate all this talent that you want, but if they're not developing it, maximizing it, it doesn't really matter. So is the current group the right group? I'm not sure. I'm not sure they'll ever get there if it isn't the right group, but regardless, I think to your point, there is some benefit to the angels from like a public perception standpoint in letting 
the Otani thing play out. And if he leaves on his own accord, he leaves and they say, well, we tried, we didn't Wasn't sell their it. Fault. You know? yeah. Right. And then, okay, now we need to go all out and here's the Mike Trout move. Here's that X, Y, Z. But I mean, Mike, they, they have very, I mean, there, there's some nice talent there. Reed Detmers, um, Silseth, mm-hmm. um, you know, Griffin Cannon coming off uh, Tommy John, I believe you have some like, okay pieces down the line. Plus all these, you know, Ben Joyce is a nice um, <clears throat> um, future uh, closer potentially, but but currently as constructed, they need so many pieces. Even the in the depth down the lineup, I, I mean, it's it's not it's just not good. And they made a nice a, a decent trade maybe with Logan Ohapi last year. Things yeah. like that are nice small moves, but in the greater scheme of things, their bullpen is currently projected to have the lowest WAR by Fangraphs in the entire league. Um, they just have, they, they have really, if you take Otani and or Trout off this team, I mean, do they win 70 games? I don't, I don't even think they come close. So do you think we find out they find out, do you, do you think they actually do this? They're, they're projected to win like 86, 87 games this year. So there's honestly a chance that they could slip into the, into a wild card and be something of value this year. And and that's where they should have been the last decade, to be honest, you know, kind of right there on the fringe. And that's perfectly fine, by the way. You know what I mean? They're not built to be a a powerhouse 100 and 110 win team. They're not. So it, I think this can be a very revealing year for a lot of reasons and, and kind of bringing all of our points together here. Isn't the actual approach just to do what you're saying, ride this thing out, try to win 90 games, try to get into the postseason. To, to, to get that elephant off their back, right? The Mike Trout can't get to the postseason. Otani deserves to be playing in October. That at least gives you a, a, a one-up in the negotiation process with Otani. Look, we're there. Well, you know, we did it. We got to October. We can continue to do this if you stick around at 450, 500 million. So um, that's step one. It's just ride this freaking season out and make it, the, make it historic and... Bank off the marketing that Otani is going to bring you with the with the you know the every month. Where is he now? How much money is he worth now? All that shit. But and then if it doesn't work, because I don't think it's going to work, because I think the Mariners are better than them. I think they're going to be third in that division, not even sniff this postseason. But that's me. When it doesn't work, and Otani goes to the Dodgers, <laughs> and you're sitting there with Mike Trout and 120 million of Anthony Rendon and a couple of young pitchers that look like they might be ready, but not quite. And everything you just laid out. Now you're talking about a Nolan Arenado trade, right? That that's what this is. This is the the Angels version of what the Rockies had to do with Arenado. They 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 got themselves to a situation where they just can't win, even though this guy's the best, right? He's the best, Mike Trout. But they can't do it. They can't figure it out. They don't have the staff. They don't have the development process to build a team underneath Mike Trout foundationally. They're going to have to eat half that salary, eat 120 million of that salary, get him out the door. And, and then what, Dan? Truly, then what? Do you just start, do you just become small market angels and you just become a $100 million payroll? You've got 11 pitchers in the system. You know, you've got Anthony Rendon as the grandfather in the clubhouse for $100 million. You understand where I'm going with this? Isn't that the right yeah. move? Because then, because there's one more layer to add on to this, and I realize I'm on soapbox here. Then you sell the team, and look, you might not, you might be selling at the absolute bare bottom, right? But the but the pitch to the new owner is, I'm handing you a major league baseball program in Los Angeles 
that is absolutely bare bones. You can do whatever the hell you want with this. Just think about Steve Cohen with the Mets, right? Now, there were some pieces in place already, but not really. I mean, he made Lindor happen. You know, it was a lot of youth. It was Conforto. It was Alonzo. It was Nimmo. There was, these guys were all on rookie deal, you know, pre-arbitration. That's the sell, right? You pay me $4 billion to, to own a team in Los Angeles, whatever the hell it is. I don't even know the valuations now. And you get to start over. There's no Trout contract. There's no Otani contract. Yeah, you know, the Rendon one's going to be a bit of a thorn for a couple of seasons. But look, we got a, we got a pitching staff that should eventually grow into something. You go spend your millions in free agency and via trades and, and see what the hell you can do to start over from scratch. I, if I'm a billionaire and that's handed to me, I love this idea of the clean slate. Isn't that how you have to proceed here with, with everything, with, with Trout, with Otani, and with the ownership sale? Yeah, I guess I'm not financially savvy enough from that perspective to know for sure, but I don't really think the current players on a team would have a massive like, – am, am I wrong you, on that? Well, well no, no. You've, so you've done some that, contracting work in your days. Would you rather show up to a house that you have to fix or would you rather knock down all the walls and redrywall it yourself? Right. I, I, <laughs> I get the sentiment. I, all I'm saying is um, like in, tan, in terms of tangible value that goes yeah. into this, like sure. Pl- past playoff appearances, how, you know, help world series, help raise the value, the overall value of your franchise, things like that. But like, I, all I'm saying is, um, like I, I don't even know if it matters that there's pieces in place. I, I think the more important part is that if Moreno is going to sell, that he's going to be the one to to move on from Otani and Trout rather than like that's the important part is the new owner is that I don't have to make those decisions. That's exactly in. it. Right. That's exactly but I, all, right. All I'm saying is I don't really like it, it, I don't think there's any value in saying hey we have like an up and coming pitching staff or like X Y Z prospects <laughs> in the system necessarily. I think. Like just from an ownership perspective, they're just gonna, you know, they would just rather not have the the financial uh, hurdle or the the public hurdle of, um, yeah. you know, moving on from two Hall of Fame players. So, yeah, no, I, I I do agree with your point. Yep. Okay, so we're just gonna ride the season out. Everybody is, including Artie Moreno, and he's just gonna have to live with whatever happens. Where do you see this division? Not that we're gonna have our over under conversation just yet, but where do you see this division? Do you believe in the Angels as a top two in this AL West? So, no. I'm going to say no this year. I keep wanting to wish cast them into it. Um, I do, however, think they made some nice moves. Like, they're fine, but they're very Angels moves. Like, the the Tyler Anderson move, he's probably going to be fine. He's probably going to regress massively from what we saw as a Dodger. And they're just, like, so known for, you know, these retread players uh, coming off of really good years that all of a sudden they, you know, they get in with the angels and things fall off. So I, I don't know, is that analytics uh, being, com- you know, lack of analytics being communicated to pitchers, making adjustments, et cetera, things like that. I don't really know, but there's obviously some sort of breakdown there. So um, in theory, they're better. Brandon Drury, that was a pretty nice move, but man, the depth just gets so thin. It's so thin. I like, you know, the front end of their pitching staff, but, Again, the depth, um, you know, a yeah. little bit questionable. And um, the, the bullpen, as I had mentioned already, is um, 
not good. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I personally have them fourth in this division, but we'll I do probably too. get to that a little bit. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. So I'm, I'm not looking at anything big. You know, that was the better part of the, the judge conversation was that the Yankees for a long time last year were on this historic regular season run. You know, not only was he mashing, but the Yankees as a whole, as a team, were successful, you know, in the same conversation. I, I just don't want this to be another individual situation for the, for the Angels where Trout's having a year or Otani's having a year, but, you know, the Rangers are kicking their ass every three or four weeks and they're sitting fourth in the AL West. And at the end of the season, it's just the same old, same old. I just feel like that's where we're headed. So that's a bit of a downer for me. Um, can I give you the latest Otani numbers? Because I'm about to tweet them after I get off this thing with you. <laughs> So again, we've done this before and I'll continue to do this. And maybe you and I will just do this like every two to three months just to kind of wrap our heads around it because, you know, we've heard every version of this now from the the talking heads. As a pitcher, Shohei Otani values to an eight-year, $230 million contract in our system. Okay? As As a hitter, he's 12 years at 390. Okay, so basically the judge contract is where he he is. Not so much for the power, but really for the five tool that he can be as a hitter. Um, so if we just slice that down the middle, right, and we just say it's at 10 because he's 28 going on 29 here. I mean, it's really hard not to see 550. It's really hard, but nobody's going 55 million a year for a player, right? Nobody's doing that. Do you think that's possible here still? I st- I still think he clears five five hundred. So, but but, but on the per year. A year, yeah, I don't right. necessarily know about that. But I mean, it wouldn't totally shock me. I'll leave it at that. Really, this is think- this is just the un- this is just a unicorn player from yeah. In terms of marketing, um, it, it, even if it's just three years and you you know you blow the doors off him it's probably going to be worth it in the long run i mean he's just and and like you had mentioned earlier like as we sort of see you know we to this point we've been so wowed by otani the player and what he's able to do on the field now as the onion kind of gets peeled back we're starting to see more of his personality show and like the the wbc was huge for this but he's just like a guy you just want to root for in general right and then the fact that he's got this massive international reach. Um, you know, this is the guy a team overpays for, and they just say, screw what the model says, we're getting yeah. him. So that's where I stand on it. That's that's why I think, like, I've never been more confident that this is the guy that gets 500, but still willing to be proven wrong on that. <clears throat> Let's just say it's 500. Let's say it's 12 at 500, because we know how the AAV stuff works in this league. That's 40. That's almost 42 million a year. It's doable, right? It's doable. Where the tax is going, where some of these teams are going, the Dodgers reset their tax stuff this past offseason. You know, they're set up for a, a big splashy contract like there. The Kershaw stuff's going to fall off after 23. There, there's some teams set up. Boston certainly set up for this to reset, right, and, and make a run at, at this kind of player. So 12 for 500, in, in my opinion, is completely within reason. And in fact, it might be too much, too logical, right? You might have to get into the 525s or, or 10 for 500 and bring it up to 50 million a year if, uh, if some of the bigger teams get involved. But it's, I'm with you. It's always been the number. And it's, it's a nice round number for you know, the media to talk about out loud. But it's also logical. 
You know, I'm putting a lot of math. I, I, I use more stats with his valuation than I've ever used with the player. And I've done, you know, mathematical stuff that I've, I've never had to do because we've never had a pitcher hitter. So uh, I'm doing extra work on this to try to make sure that I'm not just cherry picking. Um, and in fact, you know, it's the, the one thing, I, and I'll say this more and more, and maybe he'll prove me wrong this year. He's not the best pitcher in baseball and he's not the best hitter in baseball and he's not batting 300, you know, and he's not mashing 50 home runs. He's not doing anything at the top level of the game. He's doing everything above average. And that's why there's really no way around this. You can't poke a hole in anything he's doing, Dan. And you're right. Now you add some enthusiasm and some, right? He's starting to open up a little bit into, to the American you know, personality side of things. We're starting to hear about his, his, uh, his weight training and things like that. I've heard a bunch of stories about how, how this guy's kind of LeBron-esque and how he does his business behind the scenes. That stuff's only going to resonate more with American media. It's only going to get more and more because this is like, like it's just his year. A- everything that's available is going to get brought out this year. This is all about him. So if we're already talking logically about 500, I, I don't even think that's probably where it ends up, Dan. I think it's going to go more than that. Judge got more than we all thought he was going to get, markedly more because of the attention and how he continued to back it up. If Otani follows suit, we're going north of 500. We're going, no- we're going closer to six, in my opinion. So buckle up. I don't disagree too on that note. Like just to, just a sort of counterpoint. Okay. Um, I think going into 2022, I would have agreed that he is not the best at anything. I mm. think this last 12 months has been a huge step forward in his career. Like to the point where he is, in the at least in the conversation, there was a um, at, at what Dan at what. So there was an athletic article. I, I'm not going to necessarily lay it out. People should read it. But there was an athletic article that attempted to do similar to what we did, and their compare their comps were Otani as a pitcher is Zach Wheeler, yep, who is a is a multi time Cy Young um, candidate, and as a pitcher uh, or sorry as a hitter. Alex Rodriguez, which yeah. I thought was um, pretty interesting. So I'm just saying I, I would say that he is inching closer to those uh, that elite tier, um, it, which would just justify what you the point you laid out that you could he could easily clear 500 if this year he again backs it up with another like truly elite uh, season on both sides of the ball. It, it's a it's a great discussion that you're bringing. You're layering on top of something that I probably said incorrectly. I, I'm not saying he's not elite. What I'm saying is, if you just evaluate him as a home run hitter, if you just evaluate his ERA, right? If you just sort of look, you try to focus in on certain things with Otani, nothing's going to say, holy God, that's a historic number. He doesn't have an historic number. You have to put the whole thing together. And that's something that no other player can do. A-Rod's probably right. A-Rod for a while, man, was he was everything and then some. And and that's probably a great name to attach him right now for baseball reasons. Um, but that's yeah. and by the way, A-Rod earned way more than anybody thought he ever should have made twice. He did it twice. So talk from a money standpoint. I think that's dead on, right? I, th- this number should blow us out of the water when it's all said and done. It really should. Yeah, I totally agree. That is a very important note of this is the this is a lot of per game stuff because 
yeah. he is split up. So not yet. Yeah, Mike's absolutely right. The numbers will never be, whoa, he hit 60 home runs just because he's not going to get enough at bats to do that kind of thing. So, um, yeah. good point. Good point. So, all right. We'll yeah. I'm really interested soon. to see where this goes. So, all right. Uh, thanks Mike. We, one week from today, let's do our, uh, divisional over under stuff, some award guesses, all that, uh, our official MLB preview for 2023. Sound good. Sounds good. All right, man. Thanks. Thanks.